Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is the Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Hello and welcome to you all. This is the Andrew Lawton Show here on True North, Canada's most irreverent talk show, Wednesday, September 21st, 2022. I know we just spoke yesterday, but there's been so much happening. We thought we'd throw a, a little bit of a wrench into the schedule and talk about all these things that are happening here. And what I'm going to say is this great period of transition insofar as vaccine mandates in this country are concerned. And there is a little bit of good news. I, I started out at the beginning of yesterday's show talking about this report in the Globe and Mail that was suggesting the federal government is on track to get rid of the border vaccine mandate, its own border vaccine mandate, as of September 30th. Now, I think there are a bunch of caveats and asterisks I need to put in place here. Number one, they're not deciding to go in and get rid of it. They could do that today if they wanted. What they're doing is just letting it expire if the reports hold and not renewing it. So they're taking the very cowardly approach here and, and not saying the time has come to end it. They're just sort of just letting it just go, die on the order paper, pocket veto, whatever you want to call it. The second aspect of this is that nowhere in anything the government has said have they given us an indication that the rescinding of mandates of restrictions is ever something that we can accept is permanent. And this is the key theme I want to tackle in today's program. I want to discuss what's happening with the Arrive Can and the border vaccine mandate, and also the lawsuit against the federal government that we had a hearing for in court today on the vaccine mandate for air travel. This is the legal challenge being waged by uh, Sean Pickard, Carl Harrison, two names you might not know, and a couple of names you may well know, like Brian Peckford, the former premier of Newfoundland, and Maxime Bernier, who we had on the show yesterday, the leader of the People's Party of Canada. All of this is to say right now we're looking at this whole bundle of restrictions that have existed and exist in some form at the federal, provincial, and municipal level. And all of these things are interconnected. And we saw through the entirety of the pandemic, a lot of buck passing where, you know, if you complain to a federal politician, they say, oh, well, you have to talk about the provinces. They're, they're the ones that do lockdowns. And then you talk to the provinces and they say, well, yes, but the federal government, I mean, they're the ones that did this. And what we saw here was not a jurisdictional issue. It was a cultural issue. We had a culture in government that wanted restrictions, a culture in government that wanted mandates. And more shockingly and more dangerously, a culture within large swaths of the population that invited this, that wanted this, that looked to government and said, I want you to regulate me more. Regulate me harder, daddy. That's what I want from you. I want the government to crack down on me. I don't want freedom. This freedom thing makes me uncomfortable. It's a little overrated. I want you to regulate me. And they say that because they want the government to regulate their unvaccinated neighbors. So I'm going to be talking a little later on in the show about this ad campaign that the city of Toronto yanked. They pulled the plug on yesterday, thanks in large part to people like you that spoke up about this. And that is an ad campaign promoting vaccination on children. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But let's talk about the mandates here. So there are a number of them. And even if we all look at them as being part of one general thing, one big basket of mandates, they are actually different. They're authorized by different orders. They're authorized by different ministries. They have different expiration dates and they have different implications, constitutional, legal, and otherwise. 
The case that was before the federal court today was the vaccine mandate for air and rail travel. This was the thing that Justin Trudeau announced during the federal election. I don't have the clip because it just bothers me too much to see it, but it's where he he said in, I think it was in Calgary, you know, yeah, you don't have to be vaccinated, but you don't have a right to get on a plane. You don't have a right to sit beside someone who's vaccinated. He was just like making, just scoring political points off this idea of segregation. And he announced during the campaign that he was going to ban the unvaccinated from planes and trains. Not quite automobiles. He didn't go the full John Candy, Steve Martin film title, but certainly from planes and trains. And he did it. He made good on that promise in, I think it was October, maybe November, uh, just a couple of months later. This challenge, the federal government rolled back in June, this or, uh, this uh, order in council, the government rolled back in June, which meant as of June, you could, if you were not a vaccinated person, get on a plane or a train in this country. And I said at the time, no one should be grateful to the government for rolling this back. No one should be grateful to the government for handing you back a freedom that they never had the right. And I just mean morally, that they never had the right morally to take away from you. And what was fascinating is that this case, which was filed by, in large part, Maxime Bernier, who, interestingly enough, has a a novel argument here. He isn't just a Canadian who says, yeah, you know, I might want to go visit my grandmother or I might want to go and take a vacation to Tofino or something like that. He said, I am a federal politician. It is my job to travel this country. And right now I am unable to do that. So I'm unable to uh, engage in the duties that I need to engage in as the leader of a federal political party. So today, the federal government was trying to have this lawsuit thrown out. So they weren't actually hearing the case today. What they were hearing was a motion to dismiss. So the federal government brought a motion saying to the federal court, we don't really need to hear this case because the mandate's gone. And if you listen to the lawyer representing the Attorney General of Canada, as I did all morning, his argument was, I mean, there is no mandate, Your Honor. So what's the, why are we are having the, the mandates gone? The unvaccinated can fly. All the people that brought this lawsuit can fly. What's the big deal? Well, the big deal is that there was a time when they couldn't. And this government thought it was entirely legitimate to do that. This government thought it was entirely legitimate, not only to look at its citizens and say, you don't have the right to travel unless you are vaccinated, but also to effectively say you don't have the right to leave this country because we're not going to let you get on a plane and even take a one-way ticket to a country that doesn't care about your vaccination status. And when the government got rid of this in June, it did not say, we're sorry, we got it wrong, we will never do this again. No, no, no. What the government said was, we are temporarily suspending the mandate. Temporarily suspending. We totally might bring it back if the situation warrants it. Maybe there'll be a new variant of concern. Maybe we will just see a surge in cases in the winter. Maybe we'll just do some polling and find out the Canadians really, really, really don't like those, you know, dirty, unvaccinated people. And we can just take away a few more of their liberties to uh, win some votes in the vote rich GTA. Who cares? They said it was a temporary suspension. So by the government's own admission, they didn't even get rid of the air travel vaccine mandate. 
And it was laughable. If you watch the discussion that was taking place in court today, the government was saying, it, I wish I could record it. You're not allowed to record judicial proceedings, even when they take place virtually. But the government's lawyer was saying, well, you can't listen to it. And they're, they're politicians. You can't listen to what cabinet ministers say in press conferences or press releases. That That's not the law. That I mean, we so they were saying like, you can't look into the future and make a judicial determination based on something that might happen in the future. And I mean, interestingly enough, the idea of just like not listening to or trusting the words of liberal cabinet ministers, I actually don't disagree with in principle, but this is one of those rare cases where they're being remarkably transparent about what they want. And they want the right to just at a moment, at the drop of a hat, flip a switch and say, we are no longer going to allow this temporary reprieve, the unvaccinated, get your rear ends off airplanes. You don't belong there. And incidentally to that, I mean, it's not incidental, but uh, unrelated to the core idea, the government has also talked about changing the definition, as you may know by now, where they've said what the up-to-date will be the term that matters. Not the fully vaccinated, but the up-to-date. You have to have been vaccinated within however many months, six months, 90 days, nine months, three weeks, uh, you know, basically, by the time your coffee gets cool, you need to go and get another booster. So when it comes back, it could be even more restrictive and more stringent. So the federal government has never accepted that what it did was wrong. And that is so key here, because right now we have the reports that say the federal government on September 30th is going to make a can optional. The federal government is going to make it so that you no longer need to be vaccinated to enter the country. So if you've got a, a friend that lives in the United Kingdom or Mexico or France or, oh, I don't know, Tajikistan, doesn't matter, that has wanted to come here but can't because they're unvaccinated, they will, as of September 30th, be allowed to come here. This means that cross-border truckers will now be allowed to come to this country if they are unvaccinated, which is so key. This is, remember, the core idea that sparked the Freedom Convoy less than a year ago. So as of September 30th, this may be what's happening. But when I mentioned earlier the process that the government has not admitted it's wrong, the government has not admitted that it erred. The government has not admitted that it didn't have the right to do this. They're just saying, or they will say, it's no longer necessary. So as though everything that happened was entirely valid, entirely reasonable, entirely correct. And that's why the fight has not ended. And I don't think will end for quite some time. Now, I should say, in the interest of transparency here, the federal government has not actually acknowledged this reporting that it is going to do away with this stuff on September 30th. Quite the contrary. Omar Al-Gabra, who is the transportation minister, has uh, not really said one way or another. His claim is that no decision has been taken. Take a look. Over there. Why remove a rife can at this point? Uh, look, first of all, a rife can is a critical tool to uh, process travelers uh, with the requirement of the vaccine mandate. So we're asking, it's a tool that helps process arrivals as they arrive. So you want to keep it mandatory beyond September 30th? There's no decision has been made. We are, as we've said all no along, final decisions we're, made, we're, we're constantly assessing the situation and making decisions based on the information. So you think it should remain beyond September 30th? <laughs> that, that's great. He just like doesn't know the answer. So he just walks away. I don't know if this is like a minister that uh, actually just hasn't like checked his email lately and doesn't know that people more important than him have already made the decision 
or if this is a case of a guy that just genuinely is, con- I mean, maybe the report was wrong. I mean, that w- I, who knows? Justin Trudeau might, because ju- he hates the Globe and Mail. So for all we know, this is like uh, the Globe and Mail got it right. Now the federal government is changing their minds just so that the Globe and Mail doesn't get vindicated. It's like they couldn't do that with SNC-Lavalin because that story did get proven right. But with this, they're like, okay, we were going to let it expire, but uh, Bob Fife said we were going to. So uh, let's renew it an extra month just to really stick it to Bob Fife. That's the, that might be the uh, the strategy the liberals are after here. But no acknowledgement from the federal government that in nine days, there is going to be this momentary reprieve. And, you know, there is this old challenge in this country, if I can call it that. I'm not that old, I guess, because a couple of years where people say, oh, the mandates are all gone. What are these convoy people protesting? What are these people having these freedom rallies over the summer and the fall? What's their problem? Life is back to normal. You can hang out with your unvaccinated friends. You can go and uh, go to a restaurant. You can get on a plane. What's the big whoop? The problem is there needs to be a reckoning, and there hasn't been. A reckoning. There needs to be an understanding by a court, by a government, by the political body in Canada that this never should have happened in the first place. And it's enraging to me. And I'm not an angry person. I, I don't get mad a lot. In fact, sometimes people legitimately complain. They write me emails saying, why am I not mad? How dare I tell a joke? How dare I smile? How Because if you aren't able to laugh at the absurdity of the world, and in some case, the callousness of the world, if you aren't able to laugh at it, then quite frankly, you're going to die a painful, miserable death because you're just going to be consumed by so much negativity. So I choose to turn negativity into something slightly positive, slightly empowering. And it also means that when I do feel mad, it ultimately has more meaning. So it does madden me. And I say this as someone who, and again, some people may not like this, I made the decision early on to get vaccinated. Now, uh, whether the definition of fully vaccinated sufficiently changes that I will be just like a dirty, stinking, anti-unvaxxed, anti-vaxxer, whatever you call it at some point, maybe. But as it stands, I am fully vaccinated. And I was never directly affected by the mandates about which I have railed so fervently and so passionately for years because it didn't matter to me. It wasn't about me. It was about how fundamentally wrong it was that anyone thought this was an acceptable criterion to divide this country, to divide the people in the country as though moral worth stems from vaccination and not from something else. And I would happily happily spend time in a room full of 50 unvaccinated people before I spent time in a room with 50 people that think segregating the unvaccinated is acceptable public policy. And that is, I think, a tremendously important thing here, that so many of the people that were standing up were able to fly. And I did fly throughout this, and I don't say that to gloat. I did this because it was important and it's a part of my job to get from one part of the country to the other, but it bothered me And it should bother everyone in this country that the federal government wanted to make fundamental movement this thing that had a precondition of vaccination status, even as it became more and more apparent that these restrictions and mandates and rules were not saving lives. 
we're not doing anything towards the stated objective, which has had no science. I mean, Keith Wilson, a lawyer who's been on this program a number of times, he's one of the counsel representing Brian Peckford in the case that was before the federal court today. He was saying, you know, if you think that the government really had a strong evidentiary basis to put forward this travel mandate, you should actually look at the government's own evidence, which show a scramble to try to come up with one. They had already decided what they were going to do and were trying to find a way to justify and rationalize it. And they decided on an outcome and then searched for rationalization. They searched for justification. And the body of evidence filed by the federal government, court evidence, not medical evidence, does not actually have the medical evidence. So what we've seen here is a vaccine mandate regime that was driven not by science, by politics. And the worst kind of politics, the kind of politics that the liberal government accuses everyone else of engaging in, this divisive, hateful, nasty, anti-human politics. And it's not going to be over. If the government is just dangling your liberty in front of you like a carrot saying, if we feel like it, because that's all they need, if we feel like it in the winter, you don't get to go on that family vacation. So just, I mean, imagine, and there may be families like this where uh, you've got a mom and a dad and they're both, I don't want to be heteronormative, but you know what I mean, two parents and they're both vaccinated and uh, they've got uh, a few children. One of them's a teenager who, for whatever reason, didn't want to get vaccinated. So that family has been unable to travel by air for much of the last year. And on June, they find out that, okay, we're actually able to regain our rights as citizens. So they book a flight for the winter. Well, there's no guarantee that family will be able to take that family vacation in December that they booked in June in good faith, because the government by its own admission is saying, well, I mean, a new variant comes along and who knows, we, we may have to do that as though they're passengers, as though they don't make a choice. So how dare the federal government say this is moot? This is no longer a, a, re, a, a logical argument to have before the court when they're the ones saying that this could very much be a live issue in the winter and beyond. When the provincial government has not ruled out re reinstating mask mandates, reinstating vaccine passports. Now, the political climate may have changed to such a point where they don't want to do this. But the point is there would be nothing legally stopping them. And my message to government is you don't just get to say we're moving on from this. You don't just get to say we're not going to have any scrutiny. We're not going to have any oversight because we've just decided this is no longer something we want to do. No, they need to be told they can never do it again. They need to be told by a judge. They need to be told by a panel of appellate judges. They need to be told by the Supreme Court of Canada. No, this was illegal. You didn't have the right to do it then. And ergo, you won't have the right to do it in the future. And that's what the air travel vaccine mandate case is all about. It's about making sure that the government knows it is unconstitutional and can't do it again. And it's what these other restrictions are all about. I mean, take a look at the Emergencies Act. The government revoked its emergency just before the Senate was about to vote. And the Senate, we all know, may not have voted to uphold Justin Trudeau's fake emergency, which was like, you know, that they, they honked and uh, bounced a little bit too high in the bouncy castle or something. So the Senate may not have supported it, which would have been a, a tremendous political blow to Justin Trudeau. So he says emergency over. 
Does that mean we avoid the scrutiny of the Emergencies Act just because he decided on his own to rescind the emergency? No. The whole point is that so much power has been put in these individual hands that we need to have a guide for the future. Now, I fully admit that I am not the most optimistic person when it comes to Canadian courts. The courts have been far too deferential throughout the entirety of the COVID pandemic to governments. And I feel that is quite possibly what's going to happen in the vaccine mandate case. But they have to try. And if that doesn't work, then you have to turn to the citizens and make sure that the citizens of this country are not prepared to go along with this. Remember, this was a vote getter. This was not an overall unpopular decision by the government. This was very popular. And there is something very shameful in that. And I would look to all of these other Canadians who uh, didn't appreciate that they may have had people in their own lives that they were completely okay to sign away the rights and freedoms of. And I hope those people grow up. And I hope those people learn. I had a few weeks ago on this show Rupa Subramanya, my colleague here at True North, who was a big supporter of vaccine passports a year ago. And then she eventually changed her mind and said, yeah, you know what? I saw they were wrong. And I said, we need more of that. More of that. People that at one point, for whatever reason, buy into the hysteria. They buy into this narrative that uh, freedoms are contingent on vaccination status and eventually realize that that is not the way to do things. And I, I think there are a lot of Canadians that are in that boat that are progressing and moving to this point where we have to make it so politically unpalatable that a government would never dare. And that's where we are. And I, I want to just segue this to another discussion, which is related, not to the mandates in general, but this idea of dehumanizing people based on vaccination status. And there's a bit of a victory for True North in here, because all of this has come about in basically the last 24 hours. And I'll, I'll set the stage here. The City of Toronto launched on Friday a five-video ad campaign. And in these five videos, they were promoting the fundamental message that vaccination is something you should do for your children from six months to five years old. The vaccines for COVID are not, well, against COVID, theoretically, are now available for infants as young as six months old, right up to age five and, and then beyond. And they were trying to promote this to communities that have lower vaccination rates. And quite frankly, children at that age have low vaccination rates, in part because the vaccines were just approved. But also a lot of parents are thinking that it's just not necessary. The virus is mild enough at this point. The vaccine doesn't protect against transmission. So it's just not necessary to get a six-month-old or a one-year-old or a four-year-old vaccinated against COVID. And the city of Toronto evidently didn't like that. And they ran five videos. And I want to share with you all five videos. They're only about 20 to 30 seconds each. In fact, I think uh, all of them are like just 20 to 22 seconds with the exception of maybe one. But they're all very short. And oddly enough, I, I agree with like the first 80% of most of them, but they all just go a few seconds too far. And, and the first one I want to play is the one that went absolutely viral yesterday and I think triggered most of the backlash. I caught wind of it on Twitter and it was after uh, everyone was tweeting about this that I actually looked and found there were more of these things which had gone under the radar. But this is one that effectively talks about kids being indoors and the harm of that, which may sound like a message you agree with, but take a look. Mom, can I go outside and play with my friends? No, honey, there's still something going around. Okay. Yeah! 
it's actually rather heartbreaking. A, a girl who is being kept indoors by her mother, by a government. I mean, it's not quite clear. And the implication is that all her friends are able to play and have fun and have a good time outside, but she can't because she's unvaccinated. Is that why? That, that it's not safe for her to be outside playing? This was the one that really exploded. The one that bothered me the most, and I, again, I may be alone in, in this one, was this one that actually had an infant in it. And that was why, I, I don't know, the, the girl, I mean, obviously this may just be like a really talented baby. I, I mean, who knows? Her facial reactions were perfect for the message they were trying to convey. But it was telling parents not to miss certain moments. Oh, again, a good message. You don't want to miss moments with your children. But again, take a look. Oh, you're so cute. Yes, yes, you are. Yes, you're very cute. Uh, when can we see her? We would love to see her. Squeeze those cheeks. Look over here. Look over here. Oh, cutie. Don't miss those moments. Connect in real life. And again, the only way you can visit that newborn, the only way you can see that little cherub of an angel is if she gets vaccinated at however many months old she is in that shot. No pun intended on shot. And the list went on and on. This one, again, talking about human connection, the importance of human connection. Hey, Siwon, what's up? Can you hear me? Uh, hello, Siwon? Are you there? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Hello? Human connections stronger than internet connections. I agree. It's a shame he can't just go out and see his friend face to face. Well, he can. He can. Oh, but he's not vaccinated, I guess. Oh, yeah, there we go. We have to push the vaccination message six months to five years old. And I, I have always, as a general rule on this program, steered away from talking about the science of vaccines. And I think the reason is very clear. I'm not a scientist. I'm a civil libertarian. I can talk about this issue and I find it more interesting and more important to talk about in the context of civil liberties and the right to make the decision for yourself. So the, uh, the reality is most people who comment on this are not scientists. So they're relying on the scientific expertise of others. And you can find scientists saying conflicting things. So it's a matter of which person in the white lab coat you trust more than the other person in the white lab coat. But the one area where I do have more confidence speaking authoritatively because the science is so clear is on the effect of vaccinations on children. And the risk that is really at the core of why someone gets vaccinated is negligible for children. If you look at the numbers for the entirety of the pandemic, for the entire country of Canada, 39 children, 39 children have died and have been logged as COVID deaths since the very beginning. Now, I do not want to diminish those deaths. Any death, any death of a child, any death of a person is tragic. But it's worth noting that uh, in many of those cases, most of those cases, it is a death after a COVID diagnosis. It's not even by the record keeper's own admission, a case where it's a COVID-caused death. If you're talking about a healthy child that doesn't have underlying health issues, that doesn't have comorbidities, their risk of serious, serious ailment, hospitalization, death from COVID is not what it is in an elderly person, a very obese person, someone with a lot of underlying health conditions, and we shouldn't pretend it is. Denmark, as just one example, a, a few weeks back decided to ban 
uh, COVID vaccination of anyone under 18 unless they had an underlying health condition. Because they said in Denmark's case, they said that the risks outweighed the benefits. The UK has gone a bit of a different direction. They've said it's available to kids as young as five, but they're saying it's non-essential. And they're saying that you can't take a one-size-fits-all a position on this, which is effectively what the city of Toronto is trying to do here. Say that every child must receive the jab and cannot live a normal life, cannot engage with the world around them, cannot do kid-like things without it. Now, the little glimmer of good news here is that pretty much everyone thought those videos were awful. Even the city of Toronto has acknowledged those videos were awful. Brad Ross, who is the uh, chief spokesperson for the city of Toronto, he has uh, said they've been pulled. The city right now has paused the campaign and is trying to go and reevaluate the meaning. Originally, he had said that they were retracted, but they didn't really apologize for them. But I, I've seen some other reports. There's one in particular here where he acknowledges that the message itself is just wrong. I, I'm reading an article in the, I think it's Global News, or it might have been CBC, but he said that uh, the message is not sending, or it's not sending the right message here. He's saying that uh, even public health officials were unhappy with them and hadn't seen them and hadn't reviewed them. I did a little bit of digging, and the videos, which cost $4,000 each, I think they should be demanding a refund on that, but it's neither here nor there, were produced by some Toronto film program that mentors uh, Black, Indigenous, people of color, and LGBTQ2S I think that's it. There might be another one in there. Uh, filmmakers, and they do this in a way to, you know, try to foster the development of the media and arts industry. And they're the ones that made the video. So at least it wasn't like some really expensive $100,000 contract to an ad agency. But even so, the core message of this, it plays to parents that are so fearful, fearful of the world around them, that either furthers them trying to keep their children isolated from the world, or it shames parents. Shames parents who, for whatever reason, have decided that vaccinating their children against COVID is not something they want to do. And when I spoke to Martha Fulford, the infectious disease specialist formerly of McMaster University, on the show a few weeks ago, I mean, she's been one of the loudest voices and most important voices speaking up for children in this country. She said that, you know, the profile is going to be different for everyone. And there are going to be myriad reasons why one person may decide not to be vaccinated. Maybe it's religious views. Maybe it's just a commitment to natural health. Maybe someone they know has had a bad reaction. But you, you can't individualize or you, you can't uh, de-individualize this and make it where we are saying that this is the path that everyone needs to take. And, and it was a, a shameful ad campaign. Now, I, I think that when they say they're pausing it and they're going to reevaluate it, I'm going to assume that these videos are never going to see the light of day. And there are two more that I didn't play. If you want to look at them, you can head to tnc.news and we have them in our story there. You can also head to my Twitter. I've, I've posted all the videos there. And I had like some Twitter troll <laughs> respond to me and say, well, if you think these videos are so terrible, why have you uploaded them? I said, because I think people need to see them. I think people need to see them not to understand the message they're trying to promote, but people need to see them to understand just how unhinged the rhetoric around vaccination has gotten and what governments are promoting and governments are publishing. And again, you know my own position on this. The, the, the fight I'm taking up is not a fight against vaccination. It's this fight against emotionally manipulative tactics, these things that are these underhanded ways of trying to coerce vaccination, like university vaccine mandates, where just last year, Western University was touting a 99.5% compliance rate with its vaccine mandate. 
which was unsurprising because everyone had to either get vaccinated or withdraw, and only a few of them were going to get exemptions. So, of course, you had a high rate because you weren't giving people a real choice. You were taking away any real options they had. And this is why, to go full circle to how we started, vaccine mandates are so despicable and shameful. Because they say that your body does not belong to you, your body belongs to the state. And anyone who claims that when there's a mandate in place, you still have a choice is missing the mark. When the government is saying, yes, you have the choice, you can lose your job, you can lose the ability to travel, you can lose the ability to enter the country without quarantine, or you can get vaccinated, that's not a real choice. It's a choice in the sense that no one is lining up to stick a needle in your arm involuntarily, but it's a and it's funny, the intersectionality crowd always talks about the effect of race and class and gender and sexuality and religion and all of these things. And they say poverty is not just about money, it's about standing and all of this. And it's amazing that they don't realize that the circumstances and preconditions that they set out with these mandates are very similar. It's not a choice if the circumstances eliminate that choice from you. We've got to end things there. My thanks to all of you for tuning into the program today. We'll be back in just two days' time with another brand spanking new edition of Fake News Friday alongside my colleague Harrison Faulkner. That's all coming up on True North. And if you do want to support the work we're doing, which I think as I've demonstrated here is actually getting results. That was True North reporting that preceded Toronto yanking those videos yesterday. You can head on over to donate.tnc.news, donate.tnc.news. And I, I do hope you are able to, if you enjoy the work we're doing. So with that out of the way, have a great rest of the week, everyone. Thank you. God bless. And good day to you all. Thanks for listening to the Andrew Lawton show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.